Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we talk about movies, games, hardware, travel, entertainment, and all things pop culture. You can also catch us each week at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, under Keyword Skewed, where we have our game reviews and the eight newspapers and uh, partners that make up the Pinal Central Network of Papers. We have my weekly radio segments on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM, simulcast on our page, and of course, go to KSW.com and see it. And of course, we have our magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. The latest issue is in the works, which will have our 2020 holiday gift guide, uh, amongst other things. I'm joined, as always, with uh, Justin, Michael, and Joseph is with us again so we've got a lot of gaming and movie news and things to discuss with you before we get to the main discussions i had a couple of uh quick reviews i wanted to dash off for you at this time of year a lot of stuff going on a lot of uh things under review consideration so you have to kind of uh make sure you cover as much as you can and this is a good way to turn it around the first thing is a new Jackie Chan film called Vanguard. It is uh, coming for theatrical release wide on November 20th. And this is an interesting film. Now, Jackie Chan is in it, but he is more of, um, I don't, not a supportive character. He's a main character, but he, he is not as front and center into the action as many people uh, might expect. Uh, this was done by legendary Stanley Tong with Jackie Chan. And essentially it is about a, um, it's a globetrotting story, London, Dubai, Zambia, various places. And it involves a private security force vanguard who are taking on a dangerous a group of individuals. And one of the things that was really interesting about it, other than the very good action, other than the exotic locales was that in some of the younger people who were doing the action scenes, there were very much uh, trademarks of Jackie Chan's signature style. You could see guys do these incredible fight scenes. There was this one in a restaurant kitchen, and he would do things like you'd see him react and then shake his hand with, oh, ow, that hurt, and you'd see a little bit of humor in between the action, but it was very well uh, put together, and it was an interesting story, so do check that out. Now, on that reminds me of... of, Sorry, don't mean to interrupt. Uh, uh, some of his more recent stuff has been a lot like that, where he's taking kind of a backseat uh, new police story and a few mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So this seems to be on a the same trend. He's starting to to lose it, but he's still so at the top of his game for his age. It's it's crazy. And he's still a draw, and that's the thing. Yeah, and it, you know it. it it, it, it was also interesting, too, because it was mostly in Mandarin. They said that that would be changed, uh, but there were subtitles. It wasn't like I couldn't yeah. carry along and stuff. Now, well, I mean, um, that's, his, that's his movie history, though. A lot of, of it course. is Chinese dubbed, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, with the exception of stuff, obviously, like, you know, um, Rush Hour and then the Shanghai series, which hopefully we're still getting more in those because four is rumored but shanghai dawn uh well no both four and shanghai dawn have been announced at this point yeah so you know we'll see that would be uh, that'd be certainly a good thing now uh right now we got the award ceremony season coming out and there's an interesting new film that features bruce dern james cromwell and uh, cat graham 
uh, Deo Okunia, and many others. And it is an interesting film called Emperor. It's based on the true legend of Shields Green, who in 1859 escaped from a plantation and made a daring journey north and where he met Frederick Douglass um, and John Brown. And with the opportunity to continue his freedom in Canada, he chose to remain and fight slavery and took part in the famous raid at Harper's Ferry. So it's a very interesting film, very well choreographed in terms of the um, way they set up the cameras to give you a look that really made it look like um, you were looking in at that time from the angles on the horses to the sweeping shots of the uh, you know scenery and stuff like that it was really interesting i can't i can't remember the last time i saw james cronwell and anything that wasn't a cartoon (laughs) he's been in a lot of stuff but family guy i've seen him in recently he was in uh i've got kids so big hero six the series he's been in um but i haven't seen him in anything much lately this looks good Another one that is interesting. Now, this one is flying below the radar, so you you guys have not seen a lot of this one, but think about the classic spoofs like the Naked Gun films and stuff like that. And this was sent to me by um, a friend, Clint, who uh, was involved with MovieHole.net. He has October Coast publicity, does a lot of film production and stuff now. And it is a more adult-themed, I'm not saying it's pornographic or anything, but just adult humor, a film called Cup of Cheer. And what they do is they take an uh, Naked Gun-style approach to the Christmas rom-coms that are so popular on the Hollywood Channel and so on and so forth. And it's about a girl who is a big city journalist who heads to her charming hotel of Snowy Heights to write an article about the town's world-famous Christmas cheer. And, of course, you know, you go from there and there's the boyfriends and the love triangle. But one of the great things about it that struck me right from the beginning was they had little parodies like she's walking down the street and uh you know she goes into her office and they're like oh where will i go and they throw darts on the billboard and oh i'm going to my hometown yes i hope you don't end up falling in love with a stranger from your past and ending your promising career as a journalism person and then she goes walking through goodbye large city goodbye ethnic diversity I'm on my way back to my rural hometown, you know, and then of course it really goes off the handle because you have all the every stereotype between the, you know, the nerdy boy in town, the awkward encounters, the overzealous holiday spirit. So it was, um, you know, some jokes hit really well, some jokes uh, flamed out very badly, but the advantage of it was that in the end it works. The final movie I want to mention before we move on is a film called Makeup. Now, this is uh, a British film currently at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, written and directed by Claire Oakley. The film is an interesting thing uh, to try to break down. It's on one hand, a relationship film. On some levels, you can call it a supernatural or a psychological thriller. And it's about a remote holiday park in Cornwall, England, where a young young woman goes and she is drawn into this mysterious obsession that she thinks her boyfriend may be uh, unfaithful to her. And the interesting thing about it is there are some interesting psychological twists. There are some really interesting um, 
characters and the interplay between them. I don't want to give too much away, but this is one of those films that came in really under the radar. I really did not know much about this. Uh, the publicist said, you know, I really think you're going to like this. I think you want to give this a shot. And so I did. And I think it's one of those that um, I can't say for me that it would work in a big theatrical setting because for me, those are were for the bigger, louder, brighter films. But for something like this, it made for a very interesting uh, screening experience. So switching gears, guys, we are going to talk about video gaming now. And Joseph, you have some stuff to tell us about. Uh, Blizzard, what do you got? You got? <clears throat> well, um, it's not any real news in terms of when it's going to happen, but uh, BlizzCon, which has now been dubbed BlizzConline, which knew it was only a matter of time before a convention went with that. Um, uh, there, it's February 19th through the 21st, and it's going to be free this year. So in past years, normally you could watch the opening ceremonies and a few things here and there for free as an average viewer, but it would be $40 typically for or roughly $40 for a virtual ticket. And it came with other things other than being able to see the content of the, the convention. You'd get in-game stuff. And um, I actually did it a couple years ago, and they send you this this cool little swag pack with pins and just tons of tons of different things in it. And that was mostly what I did it for that year, actually. <laughs> but um, it'll be free for everybody this year. And the rumor is that the, the primary focus is going to be on Overwatch 2. Um, since we got the announcement at BlizzCon last year, uh, there hasn't been a lot of information forthcoming about it, but the the rumor is is that we're gonna we might possibly be getting a demo that day or that day that weekend. So it, it it'll be interesting, but yeah, so it'll be free to everybody. So just make sure you log in and and check out what it has to offer. I think what they're hoping to do too is garner more interest in it, so that next year or the year after when they do start charging again, people might actually pay for it. Yeah, exactly that. And, uh, and Justin, uh, Justin or Michael, do you have anything to say on this? So I'll start. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited for Overwatch 2. Overwatch is still one of my, you know, go-to games for a 5v5 or just, you know, team-based shooter. I think I play that game probably more than I play um, some of the other ones that are out there. So yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with it, particularly if they kind of take it in a direction where they're going to expand on the storyline with it and with the characters and that sort of thing. As far as BlizzCon's concerned, yeah, I, I think it's good that this one's going to be free for everybody. I think it's, it kind of gives people a taste of what to expect from there. They kind of see what kind of draw they get from there. And, and, and potentially this might I, – I, I'm certainly not going to say it's going to change their uh, their plans to charge for it in the future one way or the other. But it does give people an opportunity to explore it and see if it's something that, you know, down the road it would be something they'd be willing to pay for. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I – haven't gone for that reason because I didn't want to pay for the streaming stuff. And, and honestly, I can wait and, and get some of the news from other sources, just what was announced and that kind of thing. But generally speaking, um, it does give people a better, you know, better opportunity to experience what's what's actually the, what it's like to go to one of those things. And it does. I think it gives them a good opportunity to see if that is, you know, draw some of that crowd into to pay for the experience that maybe they weren't seen before so i think it's a good it's a good you know exposure to it and just a really good thing for blizzard to do overall so yeah i think it's exciting something to look forward to yeah and uh justin did you have anything you wanted to say yeah i you know 
I'm, I've always been a, a long-time Blizzard fan. Uh, one of my first memories of playing video games was Warcraft 2. So, um, you know, and, and I've been a long-time fan of the Diablo franchise, StarCraft, uh, the Warcraft franchise with uh, in regards to the RTS games. Um, you know, Warcraft 3, is, uh, I, I probably have almost 2,000 hours into Warcraft 3 alone. But... Um, yeah, so I'm I'm always I always tune in to what's going on with BlizzCon, um, and uh, you know I, I'm I'm interested to see what they're showing off. Um, I was you know I, I I enjoyed Overwatch. I um, I stopped playing it after probably about a year, um, and you know I kind of my interest kind of went elsewhere. Uh, so, but I am curious to see where they take Overwatch to. I'm I'm curious with the uh, the prospect of a single player kind of experience and see kind of. Uh, what what the story sort of holds there, uh, but really uh, I'm most interested in Diablo 4. Again, I'm a huge Diablo right. fan, um, but uh, I don't know if they're really showing anything off with Diablo 4 at BlizzCon, uh, the upcoming BlizzCon. But if they do, that's that's kind of what I'm most excited with. Um, so we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see. I would think they'd have to at the least have a trailer. Yeah. I don't think we're near release for Diablo 4. I think we're still at least a year out for that. But uh, they should have something for you for it there. And remember, too, uh, Blizzard is notorious for pushing back dates. You know, they've, they've learned in the past of announcing a date and then pushing it back. And I think right. they're being... I think yeah. that's kind of par for the course today for any game company, though. I mean, when you really think about it. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, that's about normal, right, these days? I Well, that's what I'm saying. I think companies are starting to be a little more cautious about uh, doing a date, and that's why you see some of them are saying things like, instead of going, oh, it's coming out February 21st or something, they'll say, oh, it's coming out uh, first, first quarter before. of 2021 yeah. and stuff like that. So I think that definitely helps. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I've, I've been to a few BlizzCons myself. Uh, we had other staff members cover some other ones, but I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I you know, I have fond memories of, uh, I, I remember one, I got up like, geez, I, I think I left like at 2.30 in the morning and drove uh, or 3.30 or something like that. It, it, it was out by 3-something, and I drove straight from the house over to Anaheim, and I remember I got there earlier because I'd forgotten about the time change this time of year, where we're actually, because we don't change our clocks, they were an hour behind, and I got there and I parked. And it was funny because I remember, um, you know, the previous year I parked in a different area, this thing, this year I was there. I remember going in, getting my ticket, uh, my press pass, getting our um, kit with the con convention exclusives and stuff like that. And then I ran it up to the car and stuck it in the trunk because I didn't want to be carrying it around all day because you know how people get so crazy about those convention exclusives. But, you know, we've covered Comic-Con, we've covered E3 and all these shows. And it was just being in that room when they lit up the big screen, because they were like calling the press going, you guys, come on in, come on in. We had our own little door. And when they, they come out on stage and they start dropping those trailers, it's just, you know. And then the next year it was even crazier. And I remember I had Genevieve with me, and it was it was just a fantastic uh, experience all around. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with, um, especially now, because part of it is you have to really build up hype 
because we don't know what next year is going to be like. It's still iffy as to when we're going to have conventions or if we'll have conventions. Uh, we'll be discussing that a little later in the show, so go ahead from there. Next up, we have two very big uh, console releases this week with the Xbox Series 1 and the Xbox Series S, as well as the PlayStation 5. The Xbox will come out on November 10th. The PlayStation comes out on November 12th. Now, naturally, uh, we have two very big games that are dropping. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla will come out on November 10th, and Call of Duty Black Ops will ship on November 13th. So, who wants to start the discussion on the consoles and the games? Oh, where do you begin? I mean... Uh, to be honest, I think as per pre previous generations, I think the PlayStation is the better console, but I honestly think that Microsoft is going to win the console wars this generation. Interesting. And a lot of it has that? to do, well, a lot of it has to do with their, their payment plans that they're going to be offering for $25 a month for 24 months, you get an Xbox series S and the ultimate game pass which includes EA Play now for the 24 months. And if you factor that out, you're actually paying something like 10 or $20 less than if you bought the system outright and play and paid for the ultimate game pass for that entire time. Um, that gives people access to, I mean, not right away, but it's going to give them access to AAA titles shortly after they release. I don't know exactly the timeline on that. But even so, they still have a ton of games to play. So you're looking at, they're looking at the broke gamers, to be honest, because the people who can't afford the 300 or the 500 outright, because Xbox Series X is offering this also for 35 a month. And same thing, you end up paying less in the long run than you would if you bought it outright and paid for the service for those months. Um, some people are acting like this is new. It's not because I actually did this with the Xbox 360 years ago um, at the Microsoft store, something very similar. But um, I think that that right there is going to be able to get the console into more people's hands than they can with the PlayStation 5 unless PlayStation can somehow counter with a similar deal. And from everything I've seen, they're not. And let's not forget that that's where the money's made anyways is on these subscription services, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Sony and Xbox are both losing a lot of money per console sold. So it's not about the consoles being sold so much as it is the money that comes in off software sales. Um, you know, X, you know, I, I'm a Game Pass Ultimate holder, and it does. Thanks. The games they offer, um, it's probably one of the best deals in town. Um, I mean, hey. If you, if you don't want to go out and buy all of those games yourself, right? I wanted to play flight simulator but i wasn't going to go out and buy it and well, I that's the reason i got it <laughs> for flight simulator, well, I, honestly actually i upgraded to ultimate because ea play was coming into it that um, too i already had the other one but it, it just made sense because i already had the game pass on the computer and i didn't have anything on the xbox other than gold but i was like i might as well you know at this point so yeah i mean i did the exact same thing because i yeah i and i i mean I, this will be the first year since wow since the 360 came out that i did not pre-order a console and honestly i'm gonna wait till next year uh for either the playstation or the xbox to be fair i mean i, I play most of my games on pc anyways and i'm just not as excited about the console releases this year Same. 
again, it's, it has nothing nothing about the games. I, I will eventually get both, um, but it wasn't important enough for me to try to pre-order them and try to beat the Christmas rush. And, and to be fair, I'd rather those consoles go to somebody who really are excited for them. And yeah, it's only, I'm only one person, and I'm not trying to say I'm being altruistic in this at all, but... But the no, reality it, is, it wasn't. It, I would rather it go to somebody who's really excited for it, and I can wait. I, it was not a. It was not a big excitement for me for these consoles to come out personally. Yeah, I'm on the same page actually. And the the other thing that I think about too is, and I, it killed it. It kicked me in the the butt this last generation, and I never ended up upgrading. But you know, there's going to be a pro version of these consoles coming at some point. Well, absolutely. And and <laughs> and to be fair, they're both very powerful. I'm not trying to. This, I'm not trying to diminish the fact that they're finally getting NVMe drives and the ability to, to load things quicker. I'm not diminishing the fact that they're running the new Radeon hardware or the yeah. AMD hardware with, uh, oh, yeah. um, and all that kind of stuff. And they are, you know, they, they're getting great reviews right now. And they're also, um, the quality, one, a couple things I'm really excited about as a PC gamer is that it's going to bring ray tracing and stuff more to the forefront of developers' mm -hmm. minds. So it'll benefit PC players, PC gamers as a whole, when they're they have more powerful hardware to build upon from this console perspective. So, I mean, all those things I'm excited for. I'm excited for people to get their hands on them for Christmas and and to play with them, and to, and to really have that experience. So none of that is meant to diminish how I feel about it. But but the reality is, I I just don't console game as much as I used to, and I'm you know again, there's no no games coming out for specifically for Sony or, or well, for Xbox in particular, because a lot of those are PC releases as well. But there yeah. aren't any games that I'm all that excited about right now um, that I would that I, I have to play day one. Yeah, there's, I think maybe for me, the only one would be Spider-Man. But you know what's really interesting about this generation coming up too is it might be the actual first generation where the console will be more powerful than a PC at a similar price point. Because there's no Great. way you build a, a PC that will compete with the Xbox Series S. We'll just go with that one. For a, we won't even say for three hundred dollars because yeah, it's three hundred dollars for the S, but that includes a controller. Right, and, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so like let's say two two sixty. I know that controllers are more expensive than that, but I'm looking at like company costs. But two sixty, you're not building a machine that's going to compete with an Xbox Series S for two hundred and sixty dollars. And let's not forget, you're you're getting a blue four uh, K blue. Well, not on the S so much, but on the not on the X, you get the four K Blu ray player on top of that. So and yeah. maybe that's not important for people, but I still use it. So, um, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it, it, you're right. I mean, this is one of the things where seeing a $500 PC build isn't going to be able to compete with the same price of the um, Series X or the PlayStation 5. But still, so just, personally, oh, I'd rather put that $500 into a new video card. But, you know. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I'm doing, honestly. That's what was the deal I made with my wife was I won't pre-order the consoles and I'll buy a new video card instead once those become available. But that's a whole yeah. other story. Right. <laughs> and Justin, your take, please. Yeah, no, I think um, Joseph and Michael definitely nailed it with uh, in regards to how I sort of feel about about the consoles coming out. I, I actually almost always wait um, uh, at least several months, sometimes up to a year. I mean, I didn't get the PlayStation 4 until um, I think God of War came out, I think is when I got the PlayStation 4. Um, and it, that doesn't have really much to do with, you know, how I, how I really... I didn't really feel that the PlayStation 4 was weak or anything like that. It was just, 
Um, you know, like Michael said, I, I don't really need to have it day one. And a lot of times my desire to have something day one will usually hinge on what is actually exclusive uh, during the release window. And vast majority of the time, uh, the games that I, I, I see out there, it's like, ah, I don't know, because like I'll, I'll, some, I'll play one of these games and then the thing's going to probably just sit there for six months until something comes out that I'm interested in. Um, so I'm perfectly fine waiting a little bit, you know, maybe even for the pro version to come out. Um, but I think Joseph also made a really good point um, in regards to the, stri- or the, uh, the subscription services. And I, I think that's really the key here. I think... You know, Microsoft has made some very kind of interesting moves in regards to their strategy dealing with um, their business model. Uh, one being they're they're really not so big on the exclusives anymore. Uh, in fact, they for a while have been trying to release their titles on both Xbox and PC as for, sort of like a Windows platform kind of thing, which I obviously really appreciate as a as a PC player. Uh, but really, it seems like their their major focus is at the Game Pass, and and honestly, looking at what's offered with with their uh, with their Game Pass service, it's it's very impressive, and I, I think they've done a really good job with that. Um, with the, go ahead. Oh yeah, just, just that that pretty much. I think they've just done a really good job with the Game Pass, and I think it's going to just you know facilitate their success going forward. I do think that Sony will be you know very successful with this console generation as well uh just because you know i i think that with the playstation 4 they've sort of proven that their their business model still works it's just i think microsoft is pivoting into a different sphere that uh you know they don't necessarily need to compete directly with uh the exclusives anymore they can kind of find success with something else well and microsoft i think learned a lot from the last generation's launch too because um in terms of being more consumer friendly Gareth, you were talking about earlier, I don't remember if it was, I think it was offline, but about how PlayStation 4 controllers are not going to be compatible with the PlayStation 5 unless you're playing that PlayStation 4 game. Um, whereas Microsoft was like, hey, yeah, you got Xbox uh, One controllers? Use them. Doesn't matter. Uh, Xbox Series game, Xbox One game, just bring it on and we'll let you use it. And that's a big thing for a lot of people too, especially the people that do multiplayer stuff. They don't have to go out and spend another 60 to $180 on extra controllers for to be able to do that if they have the controllers from their previous generation. So it already invites more people in and spending less money, or at least appearing to if you're going to go down that route. So. Oh, absolutely. Accessibility is key because, as I was telling you also off air, it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess I don't need my DualShock 4 controllers and the uh, older system anymore per se, especially with the backwards compatibility. And truthfully, I, I'm not as big on that because my attitude is if I haven't played it by now, uh, doesn't like isn't likely I'm going to because PC is my main platform. Then I go to the console, and so therefore for me the console tends to be more for exclusives and that sort of thing. And it's very interesting because Sony kind of has that situation with the new controller where they have the haptic feedback. And it's almost like they're kind of taking that approach of the old ways are gone, we're moving forward, come with us. Whereas Sony, uh, Microsoft is saying, we're going to let you keep a foot in the past if you need to as you come forward, but f- do what works for you. And I, I you know, it, 
it comes down to exclusives because I think what Sony is basically doing what they have always done and they're saying well we've got this new little big planet game we've got this brand new um, Spider-Man game we've got this new Ratchet and Clank game coming and then of course they'll be listing off all the things there and then oh we've got this and we've got this haptic feedback which you're not going to get anywhere else and so on and so forth and it will be interesting because that had always been a huge selling point of the PS4. These games, Uncharted, um, you know, The Last of Us 2, so on and so forth down the line. The exclusives are here. And now it'll be interesting to see if people say, well, you know, maybe I'm more interested in having a diverse console uh, catalog. Therefore, I'm going to go with this. And it, it'll be really, really curious. Um, Two things I wanted to mention briefly before we go on to our next uh, topics. Evil Controllers has released the Galaxy uh, lineup of controllers. They have it for the Xbox and for the PS4. There are PS5 and Xbox um, series editions coming. You can get them in the $149 and up range. A fully loaded one can go about $355. Uh, check it out, evilcontrollers.com. Rocat has released a mechanical and uh, some other versions of their new keyboard, the Rocat Vulcan. And I am playing the non-mechanical uh, one now, and my wife is absolutely thrilled because my loud uh, typing is no longer a an issue, so that definitely helps. Oh, and, man, you uh, just need the right switches. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm yeah. getting these are, really these into are, that. These are a lot quieter. I mean, I, I had a – it's a nice keyboard. It's a – it was a Cooler Master CK530 and loved it, but it was very, it was loud with a, a touching. This one is quieter. So this yeah. one I'm using now, the other one's the backup. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that goes. But guys, switching gears. Uh, Michael, we got news this week that CinemaCon, which you cover, has come forward and said they're moving ahead with 2021. What, what do you have to tell us? Well, they're definitely moving ahead with 2021. Um, obviously, one of the biggest changes, though, is the date. Uh, previously, it's kind of been the end of March to um, early April, depending on where the calendar fit. Uh, but they're moving it to the end of August, August 23rd through the 26th, I believe, the day after my birthday, um, the 23rd, that is. Uh, so I think that's smart for a number of reasons. One is I think April's a little too early. March or April's still a little bit too early to expect a lot of people to pack into a uh, a theater at Caesars Palace to watch movie releases, uh, see the stars come on stage, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing about that is with all the movie schedules being pushed back significantly, um, I, I, I kind of wonder if they needed that extra time just to have stuff to show off. Now, again, we know there were a lot of movies that were supposed to come out this past summer and this year that have been pushed to next summer. Uh, but again, those aren't the new. Those aren't the things that are going to draw the folks to CinemaCon. It's all about you know what's the upcoming movies that are going to be coming out in the in the upcoming fall season, winter season, and probably into the next summer. Um, so I think it's a smart move. I, I really think that if they had tried to move forward with the end of March, early April timeframe, it would have been postponed again or canceled again, honestly. And if it wasn't, um, you know, theater owners right now are. are and that's really what CinemaCon is for, right? It's not open to the public. It's, oh, it's open to theater owners um, and that sort of thing. It's where, it's where the uh, different studios come and a lot of stars show up and they kind of you know pitch their movies to the theater owners. 
And let's face it, right now theater owners are hurting, and the last thing they want to think about is planning a trip to CinemaCon in March, right, or April. It's it's just there's there's too much uncertainty up in the air right now. There's just too much that we have to address from a uh, COVID, you know, COVID response thing, as well as from a overall um, movie going experience. So I, I think it's smart that they moved it to August. Hopefully by then we've got a vaccine that's been distributed fairly well. Uh, hopefully the COVID numbers are way down and hopefully we're going to have some uh, exciting things to announce once the uh, uh, CinemaCon takes place. And I will get Justin and uh, Joseph's reaction in a second. And it's very interesting what you said, because we have talked extensively about how theaters are hurting. Uh, there was a lot of talk uh, recently about the postponements. I mean, pretty much uh, Death on the Nile and uh, Free Guy have been pushed back into next year. There was uh, pretty much universal acceptance that Warner Brothers is imminently going to announce Wonder Woman is being pushed back again and that the only ones that are currently scheduled to go forward are the crude sequel and uh, freaky and the flip side to that is because these are Universal Studios films and they have that agreement in place with AMC that after uh, so many weeks in the theater they can immediately move them to the paid versions and Regal has been very adamantly against this but apparently there was news recently that uh, Cinemark has started to come around saying you know we don't have a problem exhibiting films even Netflix and Amazon stuff in our theaters providing the agreement and the terms are right and of course this is a natural extension of yeah and I guess if they need to put stuff in uh, you know pay-per-view and that sort of thing to make money happen and so one of the big things that they were saying, and you have said this for a long time, Michael, is that one of the purposes of CinemaCon is to essentially have the studio say, hey, movie theaters, we still value you, you're still important. And that's why everybody said to me that CinemaCon has to happen this year because the studio, um, it's a tense time right now. And the cinemas need the studios to come in and essentially give them that warm fuzzy yeah we love you we still count on you we're we're all in we're behind you and this is how we're going to do it um and and also to give some of them the forum to directly address each other and say hey you know these are my concerns what are you going to do about it uh joseph or justin who wants to talk about this next CinemaCon. i've never really had a lot of experience with it so i'm going to actually just kind of bow out of this one here all right justin did you have anything you want to say or are we good um yeah just a good quick thing you know i think one thing i just wanted to highlight one thing michael said that i think is very important that uh, i think a really big part of this is just how much uh uncertainty we have with when a lot of the big movie the tentpole movies that would drive people to the theaters like when exactly they're going to come out um i think we still don't really know um like what we were talking about a little bit before the show. Um, I think a lot of people were looking at Tenet and trying to watch that as a, as a gauge for um, whether or not um, theater going was going to be successful or not. And I think it's still, I think people are still a little too uh, concerned with theater going. And I think, you know, until there's widespread acceptance that it's a, it's a safe activity, 
Um, I think we're still going to just see a lot of these big movies just held off. Um, so really, you can't have a show unless you have st stuff to show. And I think that's really going to be a, a big portion of this. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing. People just don't know. And I think, you know, changing gears, let's let's talk about this because it, it dovetails right into it. So they started, they shut down due to COVID. They resumed. They had to shut down due to various uh, crew members testing positive, and they finally wrapped. So you have Universal Pictures. Again, we're talking about a possibility of streaming, although with the amount of money they need to raise, I don't think that's going to happen. But Jurassic World Dominion has wrapped production, and one of the things about it is that they mentioned how uh, they had to do 100 days of filming. I think that might have been beyond what they had originally planned. Uh, then on top of it, they had to take on additional millions of dollars for like crew isolation, uh, safety protocols, and they claimed they had to do over 40,000 COVID tests just to get this film done. And a part of that was they said, you know what, we're not even going to try to stick this in theaters in 2021. We're moving it to 2022, which seems to be the new date that everyone's circling saying, you know, I think by then we can do this. Um, this is the kind of film that would be ideal for CinemaCon because this is exactly the kind of thing that they would shove into their showcase to say, this is what's coming up and here you go. And then in the, uh, it's not a vendor room, but the exhibitor area where they talk about, here are some of the customized cups and the popcorn containers and concessions and stuff that are coming. And here are the, uh, you know, art-specific things that are going to be used to market the films and stuff like that. The Jurassic um, World stuff has always done well, and, you know, uh, I'm guessing it'll probably be online like some of their other ones, but Toy Fair, I mean, that comes up in February in New York. That's always been a massive thing to show off the new toys, and, you know, there you have it. Now, the thing I did want to end with today at... Uh, was rather interesting is that uh, there have been reports that Square Enix has lost more than $63 million on its recent Marvel Avengers video game. And this is according to a Tokyo-based game analyst, David Gibson. And they talk about uh, weak sales of the game. They said that it has apparently sold um, about 60% of what their anticipated numbers were. The uh, cost for the game was reportedly with marketing factored in between 170 and 190 million dollars they think that the company the company is saying they're adamant they can still make a recovery on this but um you know that's a pretty sizable loss there especially for a property i mean joseph we saw it and played it at pax 2019 it definitely looked good i played the game uh, all the way through and Yes, there were some glitches at launch, but they patched it. I finished the game and found it very enjoyable. Um, you know, curious about where they might go for future content and stuff. So uh, what happened? Let's, Joseph, we'll start with you first and go to Michael and Justin. Um, I think that unlike you, a lot of people ran into the glitches, ran into the issues, read about the issues didn't want to deal with it and um 
some people do that. They play these games and then they run into those issues and they never come back to it, even though that stuff gets fixed. And um, then you start getting word of mouth about how it's not a, a very great game or there's issues or there's just stuff going on. And it ultimately just people shy away from it. I don't think also that the marketing for the game was all that great. In my opinion, it didn't really tell you what the game was going to be. Um, and there was just, unless you were really clued into what was going on or doing a ton of research on it, even the multiplayer beyond the, the single player campaign was kind of a mystery to what, what that was going to be like. And I, I just think that if they had given more information or provided more details or even just like delayed their launch <laughs> so those glitches weren't an issue um i think they would have had better success and just uh michael actually your take please yeah so yeah i agree and there's a couple of points to make with that too is you know i i think we all remember when it first came out and again we're talking about when it was first kind of shown at e3 you know people were concerned about the fate how people's faces looked. they were upset about the voice act you know a lot of people wanted it to be the movies and it wasn't right so i think some of that stuff lingered on while it was fixed and i think ultimately addressed for the most part people still thought about those things and you have to remember that you know when you're paying for a license that big the game needs to be a massive success and it wasn't i mean it got lukewarm receptions not bad receptions you know good reception you know good reviews uh you know but not great and when you're trying to make up that kind of money it has to be great Again, it's not about the game being bad. It's not about the the you know reviews being awful. You know, averaging probably around seven out of ten ish. Um, but again, when you're spending that kind of money with a license that is that expensive, you're just not going to make a killing. And if your game is not, you know, where it needs to be, uh, again, that's you know, marketing. I agree that the game didn't generate any excitement for me personally, even though I'm a big fan of the comics and I'm a big fan of the movies. Um, again, it wasn't that it was bad. I don't have any problem with it, but it was certainly one of those games where I was like, yeah, I'll wait for it to go on sale. It was not a, a day one purchase, um, and it's still haven't purchased it. And it's one of those games. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, when it gets to $20 off, you know, $30 off, then it's something that we'll look into. So I think they will make, they'll continue to make money on it. I don't think it's going to be as, as bad as it is now, but I do think that if you're, if you need to make that kind of money back, and this is true for movies, this is true for anything, if you don't hit it out of the park on day one release and you don't get a buzz about people saying how amazing it is, everybody has to go out and buy it. Um, if it releases with bugs, even if they're minimal, if it releases with any sort of, uh, I can't even say controversy because it wasn't really that, but any sort of reason for people to wait, they will. And when the reviews are giving them six out of 10, seven out of 10, you know that sort of thing, most people aren't going to spend $60 on a seven out of 10 game out of the, out yep. of the park. You know, um, they might spend $30 on it. They might spend 40. I mean, heck if I get it for, you know, 39 99 or whatever, or if it's on, you know, steam or, or whatever releases on for you know, 40 bucks. Yeah. Then I'll look at it, but it wasn't a game that I was going to go out and buy day one. And I think that's where they really kind of, had to make up that money. They paid for that license. They had to compensate for that license and it just didn't turn out the way it needed to. And Justin, your final word on this, please. Yeah. So a couple points. So, uh, 
just wanted to add a little bit of context is um, uh, I was reading the financial report or another article on the financial report for, for uh, Square Enix. And um, while they did have a operating loss uh, the quarter that they released uh, the Avengers, they actually had a pretty sizable profit in the first quarter. And, uh, and this also is only an operating loss for their uh, their HD games business division, which is basically um, for like console releases and single player games and stuff. Um, their MMO division did exceptionally well. And I guess the, the company as a whole um, ha- is reporting a, um, a 43 or 46% profit increase over last year. So the company's fine. It's just, they're probably looking at this in isolation because, um, it obviously is pretty disappointing, and I, I can just speak for myself. Um, you know, I was interested in the Avengers and um, looking at a lot of the trailers and, and material uh, that was being released or um, up to its release. Um, but in watching a lot of reviewers and a lot of gameplay footage, and um, you know, reading reading about some of the reported issues online. Uh, I decided to hold off, um, and I, I, I'm like Michael, I haven't picked it up yet, and that's mainly because, you know, as a huge fan of, of a lot of these characters, Thor, uh, Iron Man, the Hulk, um, it's it seemed to me that they sort of stretched themselves a little thin, and they tried to make this game a little too big, which uh, I totally understand um, that they they were very ambitious considering what the, what the property entails. It's, it's the Avengers. I mean, it's the Avengers is like one of the the most uh, successful, um, you know, series of movies of, of all time, and it's like a you know amalgamation of a, a, a group of super popular characters. But it it seemed like instead of like really nailing how a lot of these characters should feel, uh, it really seemed like they kind of just made them all feel sort of moderately good, uh, just just adequate. Um, you know, when you compare it to Spider-Man, uh, the PlayStation Spider-Man game, uh, which really only focuses on one character, obviously Spider-Man, uh, they absolutely nailed how Spider-Man should feel. Uh, the web swinging, mm-hmm. the combat, it was yep. absolutely flawless. Uh, but when you look at a game like this, and it's like the Hulk feels the same as Black Widow, who feels the same as Iron Man, who feels the same as the as the as Thor and Captain America. And they all kind of just feel a little bit samey, and it's just sort of a brawler. Um, it doesn't. It feels like it just doesn't live up to the um, the potential that the property could have been. Um, and then you have the kind of the issues with the you know the loot mechanics and things like that. When it's like I don't know. To me, it, it, having like loot mechanics in, in a game like that is absolutely not necessary. I think they really would have been better off if they had focused on really just making each character feel uh you know like a really well realized version of that character that you would expect i mean the hulk the hulk should not feel the same way as black widow when you're playing uh when you're playing the game so i think that's really kind of to me that's just my opinion uh based upon everything i'd thought about it and and playing the demo um so that's sort of why i held off but i do think that they have a lot of potential there obviously i think it's a it's a great um like one of the one of the greatest opportunities they have uh to improve uh is there and i think square enix would be 
um, w w it would be a big mistake for them to not try to improve upon this this property because the Avengers is is just too big of a property to to miss out on. Yeah, and that's definitely the case. So we will see what happens. That is going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. For uh, veterans like myself, thank you uh, so much for your service, and we hope you enjoy your day off this week. Until then, take care, be safe, and we'll be back next Sunday. Have a great one.